Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hey friends, this is Crystal. And this is Krista. And today we're joined by Sasha Thompson. Sasha is an impassioned thought leader, bridging the gaps between diversity, equity, inclusion with marketing and community engagement, particularly in the higher education and tech industries. She's helped launch diversity efforts, managed global outreach programs and marketing campaigns, and has been recognized for her work in trailblazing DEI efforts. Sasha received her bachelor's degree in sociology focused on cultural diversity and ethnicity and master's in educational policy, planning, and leadership from the College of William & Mary. She received her MBA from Johns Hopkins University, where she focused on management and marketing. So first of all, I just want to say, Sasha. Yes, ma'am. William & Mary. Old Dominion, Old Dominion <laughs> University. <laughs> Best friend went to ODU. So, yep. Know it so well. that's so exciting that we <laughs> were actually like near each other on the East Coast, possibly at the same time. I don't know, but I'm going to claim it. We'll claim it. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you. Excited to be here. So you had an opportunity to hear this month's narrative, Navigating the Nonsense. What were your initial thoughts and reactions uh, when you heard the narrative? Yeah, so there were a few statements in the narrative that really caused me to reflect on things that I've experienced and things that I've heard other women of color in particular experience. And, you know, we often hear about the warnings of microaggressions or passive aggressiveness or you know, all the other things that we're worried, that we're warned about. But to experience it firsthand is really something that you cannot be prepared for. And so sadly, when you point out like the microaggressions, people only see like that one paper cut. They're trying to understand like, well, why are you reacting that way? Um, Not understanding or not realizing that you've had a thousand paper cuts before that point. And so that's that last paper cut is the one that made you lash out or that's the one that made you speak up. Um, and then people see that reaction and, you know, then we're labeled as dramatic or sensitive and we have to kind of take that, but then also know that we have to push on. And so it, it was just interesting to, to hear that part in the narrative. And then when I heard the, um, in the narrative, like die from exhaustion, I, would recall all the times that I've come home and said like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. And my boyfriend would say, it's not like you're laying bricks. Like you're sitting at a desk. Kick him out, girl. (laughs) Like you're, (laughs) 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 you know, but at the same time, I kind of understood because it's not that physical exhaustion and, but it manifests itself physically. And then I realized that it was that mental exhaustion. It's just the wear and tear of having to navigate constantly 
fight for yourself, fend for yourself. And so, you know, when it's when the narration talked about navigating these seas and then these invisible storms, it like it, it struck home because so many of us are having to constantly fight and navigate and not understanding why it's, you know, physically and psychologically beating up on us and, and how that's manifesting its, itself. And so there's really no reprieve. You know, I often tell people that sometimes this work is like pushing a boulder uphill, right? While having daggers thrown at your back, you're trying to <laughs> do the work, but also a victim of the work as well. And so we know we need to get the job done by any means necessary. And sometimes it's just takes a toll. Yeah, I've actually never heard the daggers at your back piece, but that is so real. Like, I really felt that. And also, both of the things that you talked about with the paper cuts and then as well as being exhausted and these being invisible fights just really leads me back to the thought that people need to believe us. And I think ultimately that's one of the themes that we just keep coming back to is that we experience all of these things every day and it's so difficult to navigate. And then when we share how it is that we feel, we aren't believed. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's also about just under understanding that when you see somebody in front of you, they're more than just one situation and more than just one reaction. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you said it best. We're like all people only see that one paper cut. And I think that they react to our stories and to our feelings as if it's an isolated incident. They're not really understanding the broader impact. And being that like navigating the nonsense is such a critical element of us being successful in corporate spaces. Like, why is this so familiar to us, specifically women of color? And why do we oblige it? What's the alternative? You know, I think we're semi prepared for it. Many people are often told, or many black women or women of color are told, you know, you have to work twice as hard, right? Or you have to be able to prove this and prove that. And so psychologically, we're prepared for the fight and it's just in our DNA. You know, what's been fascinating for me is throughout my life, I've been the only. And so that preparation has started, you know, at the age two, <laughs> you know, just knowing that, okay, you're different. Not everyone's going to experience things the same way that you do. And then when you, you know, to your point earlier, if like you speak up and nobody believes it because that's not their experience. And so we, we start to second guess ourselves. We start to really figure out like, okay, am I experiencing this or not? And one of the things that I've realized, and I probably more so in the last few months than any other time in my life has been, we, we take on a lot of these things, but we don't necessarily tell our stories. And so I've started doing a lot more of that, telling stories and making it real for people. But not just to make it real, but for them to also understand the other paper cuts and how they combine <laughs> to make one large gash at some point. And so I think that that's important, not for us to just share amongst ourselves, 
because sometimes we are the only, and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones going through it. But the more we tell our stories and say, okay, I'm not the only one that's experienced this, then we can kind of help each other through it. Like there's somebody that's been through it before us um, and we don't have to do it alone. And so I like to work with other women of color, particularly in this space as a mentor, but I'm a mentee, right? I have people that I look up to that I've, I've worked with that kind of helped me navigate some of these seas or told me, you know what, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and so because you did this, this is why this is happening to you. And you sometimes have to take that, but we need to be able to help and support ourselves. And you asked about, you know, what's the alternative? So, you know, what's interesting <laughs> is I have two coaches. Again, you always need to have somebody that's been through it before you. And one of my coaches just very nonchalantly said, like, why are you trying to break a system and manage a full-time job? Like, wh why? Like, your full-time job, that's what they're paying you for is the full-time job. You're trying to break this system of oppression, et cetera, et cetera, and still try to do your job. And, and I had to think about that. I really had to think about that and try to figure out, like, which battles are actually worth fighting or are there ways that I can align my job to the work that I wanted to do or make the change that I wanted to change? And would it be worth the scars in the process? So, you know, I had to really think through that. And so some of the things that I've done has been have been to look at opportunities to do some of this work outside of work and, and create communities and, and look at systems of oppression and how can we break that and dismantle that in collective ways. So at least I feel like I'm working towards something and not getting myself <laughs> in trouble um, and trying and trying to cause, you know, havoc in the workplace. But, you know, the one thing that I always keep in mind and I actually have on my wall in my home office is the Audre Lorde quote of a master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And so I, I stay centered on that. I love that. And I, I really love you said a couple of things that we've heard in some past episode with some queens that we've talked to, particularly Kashana Palmer, when she talked a lot about, do you have any real friends, <laughs> people that are really going to tell you what you did wrong and what you could have mm -hmm. done better? So I really love that. And then just also how to create communities and create impact outside of the four walls of your organization to fill your cup because work is work. I mean, we hope that there are inclusive spaces. We hope that we're able to make the impact that we want to make. But the truth is, is that when you go into a mm -hmm. job, it's a business and you can try your best, as you mentioned, to dismantle the master's house or break a system, but you may not always be able to make the impact that you want. So really considering ways in which you can create impact in ways that feel fulfill you is really a great point and a great step for folks to take. Yeah. And it helps you stay sane. <laughs> you know, honestly, like it, it does help just keep you focused on, okay. This is this. Let me put my energy over here. Right. So you're not spinning your wheels. Yeah. And sometimes I also think that it can be tough for us to feel like we're truly moving the needle 
because especially as women of color, we have a really Mm -hmm. high bar for ourselves. So if we're not seeing impact, if we're not seeing true change in the way that we define it, which is in fact, most of the time dismantling the house and Mm -hmm. the entire system, it can be hard for us to feel successful or for us to even feel like valued. And it's easy for us to get frustrated and be like, why are we doing this? Why are we here? Why does it exist? Everything's working against me a lot. Like you said, pushing that boulder uphill and also having daggers thrown in your back. So it it gets really, really tough. But I, I think that sometimes the credit should be we're doing this work at all. And it does matter, even if it doesn't look like something that you can put on paper just yet. I like that about Crystal. A lot of the times when we have conversations about internal events and things, the outcomes that we always talk about are things that are Mm -hmm. intangible and just the way that people will leave feeling rather than moving the needle or trying uh, to have any kind of like paper outcome from it, even though I know that's that's the end result of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what's important with that is something that I always focus on is one, centering my work on underrepresented folks, uh, those communities, and making them feel valued and seen. Like, yeah. I, I, not that I don't care, but um, I that's my goal and that's my focus, right? That we feel valued and we feel seen. And that's what, you know, makes my heart sing. Um, and that's, that's why we do what we do. Yeah. 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 And ultimately what we do for the most marginalized only benefits everyone. The work that we do isn't a zero sum game. Like we all benefit once we're centering those who are most marginalized. So that said, Sasha, when you're talking about centering underrepresented voices, we really want our listeners to leave with some actionable steps that they can take to navigate the nonsense in these spaces So what would you tell black and brown women who are just trying to survive in these spaces that may not be psychologically safe and may just be full of nonsense? Yeah. So I think we touched on the first one um, a little bit earlier around like having your core group of like Mm -hmm. friends or, you know, Minda Mm -hmm. Hartz calls it your squad. Uh, My coach and I've heard other coaches refer to it as your board of directors, but really finding a group of people that can help you navigate, right? So mentors, sponsors, peers. Caroline Wanga from Target also talked about having your boss and skip level, right? As a part of that conversation, particularly if you're trying to move up in that organization. I love her. Oh, she is amazing. I love her. <laughs> she is just amazing. She is amazing. And so always having those people that are always looking out for the best in you. But I've also started realizing too, you need to have somebody and they might not be on your board, but you always need to have that one hater, right? That's just nearby because they're going to tell you or you're going to find out everything that you're doing wrong or they think that you're doing wrong. And so as you're starting to navigate, you already know what's coming your way and you prepare for that. Um, Sasha, pause. Yes. Pause for yes. one second. Krista, I wish the camera was on because I really want to look at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to look at you right now. I hope that you're listening and you're taking this in. That haters are your motivators. And I think that's exactly it, right? When you're in the moment, especially because you tend to be one of few, even one hater 
can really shake you and can really challenge you. And you can feel isolated, right? Oh, yeah. Because most of the time, the haters are the majority. Oh, yeah. So when that happens, and I think that's why Crystal's kind of calling it out. A lot of the times I find that that energy can take a really big like emotional and mental toll on me mm-hmm. because I, I challenge how many other people in this space get haters as frequently as I do. Oh, girl, we could talk like that's mm-hmm. a wild conversation. Yeah. <laughs> the second thing, I call it the Dr. Trifecta. It's the therapist, primary care physician, and the spiritual guide. So mind, body, and spirit. And I say this because what I've realized is when I was going through valleys and storms and other situations, the stress was manifesting itself beyond the psychological. It was impacting my body and my health. I was, you know, losing weight very quickly or I was gaining weight very quickly. And it's all was tied back to stress. It developed some other like health issues. And I'm someone that's never had health issues. And I know I'm getting older, but some of this stuff, I was like, this don't even make sense. This is not who I am. So mind and body are in alignment. You have to make sure you take care of that. And then I also add spirit in that. And that's however, whoever you worship or pray to or believe in, um, having that as a centering piece, because sometimes you need it. Like I know for me, my father was a priest and I'm always, there there are moments where I'm just like, Lord, I need you to help me through this because I really don't want to flip this table and lose my job. Oh, Lord. Because there have been situations in my past, you know, in other jobs that I've had that I've had to make that decision of do I react the way that I really want to react or do I, you know, say a quick prayer and get through it. And so, you know, always having to, remember whose I am in in those moments. And again, goes back to this, you cannot tell your story without having gone through a valley. And so, you know, Lord's, uh, Lord's Prayer and 23rd Psalm, whatever comes easy to you. Sometimes I'm just like, I need some Yolanda Adams, whatever it is, do that. Because I think that that also helps. The last thing that I would say is like do whatever it is that's fun that's outside of this that you enjoy doing and you know right now especially with this whole COVID-19 and we've been cooped up in homes it's kind of hard to do but do those things that you enjoy um you know I used to love going to my fitness class on Mondays and Wednesdays because I knew okay that coach anytime I was there he was going to come after me but it was also a group of black women all ages, all sizes, all abilities that supported each other. And sometimes I needed just that. Um, now with COVID, I love murder mysteries. I'm always like always watching Dateline, but I love to laugh. So y'all don't judge me, but I'm watching all these psych <laughs> reruns and Death in Paradise reruns. What is Death in Paradise <laughs> about? Is that about you killing your spouse on, ooh, on vacation? No, it's so it's on the B- BBC. Um, it's set on an island in the Caribbean. Again, my family's from the Caribbean, so it's felt like home. But it's always a murder. And they're the detectives trying to figure out who who done it. But there's a little bit of comedy in it. But I think because it's set in the Caribbean, it just reminds me of my people. 
So watch that, you know, when I can. But just things that make me laugh, things that make me think and try to figure it out, like the whodunits. So like we were watching Dateline the other day. And I, I think the show for 30 seconds. I was like, she did it. <laughs> I know. The wife did it. <laughs> the wife. And he's like, can, can I even watch the show? I'm like, she did it. And come to find out, she did it. But there was a twist at the end. So those are the things that I, I, I like to do. It's just kind of figure out like murder mysteries, but then really laugh and, and joke and have a good time and, you know, finding different ways to do that now. So. Yeah, I love, I love, love, love that your call out takes it there and then yes. just giving us permission to do the things that make us happy. Like all of those guilty pleasures and all of those things that can feel like unproductive. I think, and I'll say it, I probably have led every sentence that I've said on this particular episode with this, especially as women of color. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like we have this pressure to always be productive and providing. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're able to do these different things that really have no other purpose beyond bringing us pure joy and helping us find respite and reset yep. is so important. And obviously beyond your show and movie recommendations, I know that people are going to want to hear so much more from you. Where can they find you online? So right now, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn, linkedin.com backslash yada, 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 Sasha Thompson, S-A-C-H-A-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. You'll see me there or on Twitter at Petite1908. I have a quite a few projects going on right now. And so I'm working on a website that will have some of those things on there. But yeah, all of that will kind of come out on LinkedIn or Twitter. And I'm always there. So they can find me there. Y'all better follow Sasha. <laughs> Sasha be bringing the heat every day. Yeah. <laughs> every single day. Not every day. <laughs> <laughs> I might take a day off or two. But no, I find that we need to push the envelope sometimes in these conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and shine a light in the places where people don't want the light to be shown. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week. <laughs>